who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 7. Prague, 1970. 1. We shouldn't be here, Josh said. Gabe shouldered deeper into his overcoat and did not agree out loud. Prague Januaries ran bitter and deep. Chill wind whistled off the frozen Voltava, down narrow medieval streets and over tile roofs. Earlier in Gabe's career, in Indochina, in Cairo, crouching sunburned and sweating in some perforated awning's excuse for shade, he dreamed of a post where they'd heard of winter. The world had turned since then. Gabe glared at the dormitory across the road, through the Moskvich's tinted windshield, wishing they could run the engine, or at least the heater, or, hell, drink coffee. Why not wish for an American car while he was at it? About all you could say for their mid-range Russian clunker was that it wouldn't raise any eyebrows, which mattered for a stakeout. You never could tell who was watching. STB, KGB. He supposed he should add Agents of the Flame to that list now, too. In the parked Moskvich, Gabe and Josh were as unobtrusive as two CIA officers could be in Prague's university district after dark. You tailed the mark from her apartment, Gabe said. I saw her go inside. She's there. She is all right, Josh said. Third floor, corner by the window. Gabe checked through his monocular. Their target, Andula Zlata, 
stood backlit in the window, pale and scared. Behind her, a tall blonde student knocked back a glass of vodka and wound a scarf around his neck. Another girl wrestled with a thick winter coat. Looks like they're leaving. You sure they'll go down out the front door? All the dorm exits lead to the street. But Gabe, you know what I mean. Tension edged Josh's voice. We shouldn't be here watching her at all. Stakeouts on college girls? God. Frank still has a chip on his shoulder about our screwing up Drahomir's recruitment. If you want to prove you're not crazy, you're doing a bad job. I'm the one who screwed the Drahomir up, Gabe said. You did fine. That's not what he implied. Gabe risked a glance away from the window. Josh, in monochrome blue, like an architect's pencil drawing, sagged against the car door, his chin balanced on his tented fingers. His right hand smoothed out an imaginary wrinkle in his slacks. He lit into you? Not in so many words, but it was clear I had disappointed him. I don't like to disappoint people, Gabe, especially not Frank. This girl better be important. The KGB thinks she is. We've got nothing on her. No signs of interest, no significant political activity. But Morozova went from approach to pitch in 24 hours. Must be nice to move that openly. That's a crazy pace even for them. This has to be big. What's she studying? History. History? Josh turned from the window, astonished. Why would they be extracting a history student? Grooming one? Sure. Cultivating? But extraction? Makes you curious, doesn't it? The party emptied. Gabe timed the student's progress against his resting pulse. Know the target. Feel the target. Sliding on her jacket, one hand steadying herself against the door jamb. Figure 20 people in that room all walking together. The stair, most likely, is halfway down the central hall, and the building's about a football field long. Three flights of stairs, another 40 feet to the front door. The average human pace length's about a yard, walking speed of around five miles an hour, unburdened in flats. Knock that back a third because they're in a group and some are wearing heels. You ask me, Josh said. This whole thing's a put on. The handler doesn't want this girl. She just wants to make us jump, waste our time, and boy, did she. Gabe rolled his shoulders. Too tight, too long in this car. Too long sitting down recently. Worst case scenario, fine, they make us jump, we waste a night's sleep. We'll get plenty of rest when we're dead. Hey, you want to stay up all night just to follow the Prague State University pep squad bar crawl? Be my guest. And the front door should open, Gabe thought. Now, right on schedule. The students shuffled into wet, drifting snow, huddled in jackets, flushed with booze and cold. Gabe found the girl, Andula Zlata. At the rear of the pack, eyes wide and liquid despite the cold, pale, afraid, hungry. And there, by her side, tall, angular, unafraid, Morozova.
The handler is in play, he said. Tanya Morozova pulled her jacket close and took Andala's, the objective's, arm. She checked the street. A row of parked cars stood across the road, some windows tinted, others not. A man huddled inside a thick jacket at the corner past the bus stop, holding a folded newspaper, waiting. But for whom? Rooftops clear and windows. Might be a problem, might not. Safer to assume the former. Not so immediate a nuisance, though, as the big dumb blonde comrade to her left. Marcel was walking a step too close for comfort and stank of the vodka he'd downed before they left the party. The city, he slurred. She impressed me too when I first arrived. How long will you stay? Andela's distant relative had been her hasty cover. Fortunately, students, draped in the invincibility of youth, tended to be trusting. Certainly Marcel had not questioned her story. He was too busy trying to talk her into bed. Not long, she said. I am sorry, I must speak to my cousin. We have such a night planned. Marcel did not seem to have heard. The joys are city orphans, they will stone you. Perhaps. She turned her back on him and pulled Andula ahead, into the warm huddle of students shambling toward the bus stop. Andula felt stiff, scared under her hand. Tanya had hoped a drink would bolster the girl's courage, but her courage needed more bolstering than her bloodstream could support. When the bus arrives, Tanya said, we must move quickly. Do what I say, when I say it. We have taken precautions to deter pursuit, but the elemental inside you will draw certain eyes. Andula tensed. They're watching us now. Yes, relax, walk. They'll find us, she said, her voice uncertain. I could feel the one who followed me. How can we lose them? They clustered at the bus stop. A clutch of sheep gathered against the winter. Icked naturally, Tanya admonished. None of this is natural. Fair. Headlights flashed up the street. The bus approached. So did the man in the thick jacket. Another fellow in an overcoat, this one wearing earmuffs and a fur hat, emerged from an alley across the way. Sloppy, if they were professionals. But not all the flames acolytes had intelligence training. The one across the street might have a weapon. The newspaper man's hands were in plain sight. Oh, God, Andela whispered. He's there. The man across the street? No. Third car down. The Moskvich. She pressed closer to Tanya. Her breath steamed. I can feel him. Newspaper ambled closer, head down, doing his best uninterested, uninteresting saunter. No one innocent would spend so much effort seeming so. Earmuffs glanced left and right, as if preparing to cross the street. His gaze drifted smoothly past Tanya and Andela, but hitched on the newspaper man. An exchange of glances. 
The Moscovich had tinted windows. Perhaps there was a suggestion of movement inside. Tanya felt nothing when she looked at it, but then she was not a host. She did not breathe the secret powers of the world. She merely used them when such tools suited her. She giggled as if Andula had said something funny and leaned close to her, covering her mouth with her hand. Do not look. The man with the newspaper, the man across the street, they are hunting us. Andula tensed and almost looked. Tanya felt a stab of sympathy as the girl caught her breath. Poor girl, so few harbors remain in our storm-tossed world for sailors like you. We should run. Wait for the boss, Tanya said. When it comes, we board. Now please, laugh, as if I have told you an embarrassing fact about Marcel. The girl's laugh, when it came, was strained and hollow. Josh put down his monocular. Okay, fine, that's Morozova. What now? Do we approach? Try to scare her off? Looks like someone beat us to the punch, Gabe said. Newspaper, earmuffs. Josh shook his head. What is this, amateur night? Spy camp? If that's the KGB's second string team, they're definitely pulling your leg with this job. That's not KGB backup. Gabe said. Look at the girl. She just made them, and she's terrified. No Russian team would be that obvious. That's another squad, and they're moving in. When the bus arrived, Tanya pulled Andula to the front of the gaggle of students so they could board the bus first, ignoring the others' groans and Andula's own yelp of protest. Descending passengers shot them dirty looks, a short woman in a black overcoat shoved Andula against the wall of the bus, and the girl gasped in pain. A thin line of blood ran down her pale cheek. Nadia worked fast. In less time than Tanya would have needed to draw the blood, Nadia had cleaned it from her thin knife onto a piece of wadded cotton, placed the cotton into a silver locket, and shucked her black overcoat from her shoulders. You caught me! Hush! Tanya said. Give her your jacket. She did not greet or acknowledge Nadia. The last passengers left the bus, and students milled on. Andula, trembling, wordless, handed her jacket to Nadia, who passed Andula the overcoat. While Andula struggled with the bulky black garment, the knife flashed again, and Nadia withdrew her hand, clutching a few strands of the girl's bright hair. What? Before Andula could finish her question, Nadia darted out into the night. No time wasted in valediction or farewell. Tanya guided Andula to a seat, pressed her down, and stood above her like a mother bird over her child. Nadia could take care of herself. She will buy us time. Holy, the girl's on the run. Gabe shook his head. No, she's not. It's a look-alike. Zlata's on the bus with Morozova. No way. She slipped out the doors. She's running past the dorm now. Are you crazy? 
that's not the target. The height and hair and build are all wrong. Josh banged on the dashboard. I followed her from the apartment over here. That's Zlata, damn it. The bus closed its doors and pulled away from the curb. We're going after the bus, Gabe said. Josh threw up his hands. You're the one who wanted to follow her. Newspaper and earmuffs are running after her now. I'm telling you, that's our mark. You're the one who talked me into this damn scheme. If we're doing this, we might as well do it right. Zlata's on the bus. Gabe turned the key and shifted into drive. Trust me. Not this time. And before Gabe could stop him, Josh slipped out the Moskvich's door into the dark. Gabe cursed. On the one hand, he had Josh, on his own, chasing a dead end, possibly into a trap. Why was he so sure? Everything about that decoy was wrong. On the other hand, the student, target, lure, whatever Zlata was, she was disappearing into the KGB's mouth. No time for clarity. Josh could handle himself. Gabe pulled the door shut pressed the gas, and followed the bus into the cold and dark. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Two. Josh, running, cursed Gabe, himself, Frank, Prague, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles II, and the Soviet Union. Most of those were merely implicated in the present mess. The real fault lay with Gabe, obsessed with a meaningless Czech student and stubbornly blind to the fact she'd been switched for a body double. Gabe, whose madness must be catching... Why else was Josh now pounding down the sidewalk, chasing this joke of a mission? But he couldn't blame anyone but himself for the grinding pressure on his lungs, for the fact that after a few minutes' run, his legs felt like lead and his blood like lava. Should have kept up the PT after basic. Should have found hobbies other than reading, chess, and overwork. Should jog in the mornings, maybe. He'd meant to, before he had learned what winter mornings in Prague felt like. If he got through this, he'd buy sneakers, long underwear, a better coat. The girl cornered hard and sprinted down an alley. Newspaper and earmuffs followed. Josh settled into a pace he hoped he could sustain. What he'd do when he caught the girl, or when newspaper and earmuffs did, was a question he hadn't yet answered. He had a sidearm. He could shoot, targets. People wouldn't be so different, he told himself. God, he didn't want to kill anyone. Not tonight. Newspaper and earmuffs were halfway down the alley. Josh ran harder to catch up, hoping they were too focused to hear his footsteps. Street lamps lit the girl's black hair. No, she was blonde. Must be a trick of the light. His legs didn't like him. The feeling was mutual. Josh ran faster. There's no need to complain, 
Tanya said. The cot was shallow. Look, the bleeding has already stopped. But why? Andala kept the handkerchief pressed to her face. Sympathy. I don't understand. With a bit of blood, a bit of hair, and the right tools, Nadia can pass for you. The trick will not work in direct light, nor will it last for long, but it can distract pursuit. Andala huddled into the black overcoat. Not good. She was drawing away, into herself, away from the chase. Tanya should have warned her about the blood. Now she needed to reforge trust, create common cause. It was not hard to make herself look worried. She thought about Nadia, fierce, in flight. Pictured the men following her. Imagined what acolytes of flame might do to a captured agent of the ice. Nadia could fight them, and she was strong. But only in foolish fairy tales did the stronger fighter always win. I'm sorry, Antula said. Your friend will be fine. Tanya drew a ragged breath. The truth, as always, was the best lie. Yes, she said. I hope so. Andela removed her glove and laid her bare hand on Tanya's wrist. Her touch was warm and sharp, with a soft tingle like mint or electricity. Was that the elemental beneath the girl's skin? Or was it Tanya's own spark of loneliness, an ache so desperate she could not admit it, even to herself? A tint-windowed Moscovich passed the bus on the left. Can you stay with me? Tanya asked. For what comes next? She forced that brief thrill of contact back into the locked and chained pits, where she kept everything she did not have time to feel. Andela's wide brown eyes were soft. I'm ready. Of course you are. I have made you ready. The Itkar, she pointed. Is it the one you saw before? Andela's breath caught. Her lips opened, but the word yes did not quite make it out. Tanya set her jaw. Thank you. Now, please. Listen, this next part will be tricky. Karel Hasek should not have been chasing a fugitive host down back alleys after dark. By all rights, he should have been home now, poring over tomes and texts or marking papers in comfort, glad to have several thick walls and a roaring fire between himself and the cold. He and Vladimir had hoped to observe to follow the host and her ice handler, but they could not pass up so golden an opportunity. For the host to have slipped her handler's custody. Do not run, he shouted, or tried, it being difficult to shout at full sprint. We are here to help. The host crossed the street, diving out of the way of a passing truck. The truck swerved, but righted itself. Vladimir followed the host into the alley, and Corell followed Vladimir, feeling triumphant. He knew the university grounds, their cobblestones and corners, better than any student. This particular alley branched west out to the street again, 
and, a little later, branched east. The host, running, might assume they'd think she'd taken the quick escape of the western branch and try the east instead, only to catch herself in a dead end. The host's jacket flared around the eastern turn. Corell ran faster, ignoring the pounding in his chest. The revolver in his inside jacket pocket pounded against his ribs. He would not need it. The host would join them. They would free her from the lies of ice and feed her the truth of flame. He rounded the corner. The girl lay crumpled near the wall. Vladimir approached, his knife out. Thug. Girl, Corel said. We will not harm you. She did not move. Collapsed, no doubt, when she found she could not escape. She despaired. He had to make her believe she was safe, for now. I do not know what lies that woman told you, Corel said, gasping for breath. But we are your friends. I think she's out, Vladimir said, tilting his big ox head. Pick her up, then. Corel clutched the stitch in his side and winced. We have to get her into hiding before the ice find us all. Vladimir lurched toward the fallen girl. His knife glinted in the shadows. Miss? Put away the knife, you fool. Vladimir reversed the blade so it lay against his forearm, but did not sheath it. Miss? Corel limped closer. Vladimir knelt by the girl, prodded her shoulder with one meaty finger. Corel, she's not here. Corel blinked snow out of his eyes. What are you talking about? I can see her. I don't understand either, Vladimir said. There's a coat and a locket, but no girl. Vladimir lifted something glistening and silver from what Corel could now clearly see was a pile of rags. The locket shimmered and glowed, like torn foil cast into the air at sunrise. It pulsed. It growled. Vladimir, put that down! But too late, too late. And then the world was light. Gabe followed Morozova and the Mark, hoping they would stay inside the bus. He knew no good way to tail pedestrians from a car. There were too many places cars couldn't go, and a car could not match a walking pace. He kept a few lengths ahead of the bus. When it stopped, he saw the Kanje Besnik lead Andula out, and he parked and almost left the Moskvich, only for the women to circle back onto the bus again at the last moment. He threw the Moskvich into drive and followed as casually as he could. Morozova must have seen him. He would have seen her where their situations reversed. He turned onto a side street and sped through intersections to beat the bus to its next stop, a few blocks south from the Stare Miesto. He only almost killed himself once, fishtailing on slick cobblestones. He parked and left the Moskvich, ditching his hat, but keeping his overcoat. No sense freezing on the trail. Hunched shoulders and bent knees would change his height a few inches. He paused in front of a shop upwind of the bus, produced a cigarette, and smoked in the snow. 
If Morozova had made him, or the car at the bus stop, he might have thrown her off by veering away. If they didn't dismount here, he'd board the bus himself, a tipsy Czech apparatchik stumbling home from a late night at the office, or a bar, or both. Gabe did not think of this game as cat and mouse. It was dangerous to cling to the fantasy that pursuer and pursued were different animals, living out their fate. In the real world, a cat could not become a mouse, or a mouse a cat. In Gabe's world, that shift could come at any time. Chases turned when you least expected. Your careful preparations pitched you straight into a trap. He avoided thinking about Josh. The bus stopped. He smoked and watched reflections. He found the women more easily than he'd expected. Andula drew the eye in a way Gabe couldn't explain. Morozova manipulated her charge well, moving them within a clump of bystanders. She'd hidden her own hair beneath a knit cap and seemed shorter, swapping off heels, perhaps, or walking with a stoop. As they neared, he looked past them, raised his hand as if greeting a friend just now exiting the bus, and brushed toward the rear of the crowd. Morozova's eyes tracked over him, locked briefly. She quickened her step. As the women passed him, Gabe realized he felt distinctly aware of their presence and location, especially Andula's. Not merely conscious, as he would have been of any mark. Aware. If he'd thrown a rock over his shoulder, he could have struck Andula in the arm. Like someone had switched on a radar screen in his skull. He spun on his heel and tailed them north into the snow and swirl of the Starry Miesto. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. 
Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.